Welcome to the Brighter Skies podcast with Gary Ware. This podcast is to inspire everyone to become the person they're meant to be, to take action and to realise life doesn't always go to plan. Gary will be speaking to successful entrepreneurs who will share the good, the bad and the ugly of building business and what to do to keep moving. Having left school with just two GCSEs, he achieved his aspiration to be a manager on the Red Arrows. Gary is all about assisting others to grow whilst he is now embarking on his next adventure. We will bring you inspiration with a dose of true insight and reality. Let's grow stronger together by learning from the journeys of the successful and knowing that there are always brighter skies ahead. Welcome everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighter Skies podcast. Today we've got Emerald Fisk, who's an entrepreneur, public speaker, property investor and mortgage broker. Welcome Emerald. Thank you. Thank you for having me, third time lucky. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for being on here. I really, really appreciate it. So this episode, I wanted to talk about finance or your your field of work of, of being a mortgage broker. Um, try and understand the pet peeves, what we can do uh, better as, as a, a client that's coming to you. Um, talking about small projects all the way up to large projects. So hopefully that's okay. But before that, before that, I want to talk about You've been very successful in property yourself, haven't you? Um, and I'd noticed that, I think it was three years ago, you'd shared something that you'd had a really good year. 500K in finance raised, five buy-to-lets, three uh, SA with another four going, flip, lease option on land. Wow, I mean, that's that's amazing. So I just want to talk about how it all started in property. Um, okay. Um, I love property and I've always, I think, had an interest. Like, you know, when you're a kid and you look at old buildings and I used to think I could do something with that, um, but never really thought it was possible. It was always like properties for the rich, like you need to be really wealthy to get into this. So I think like, I'm going to build a business and then I'm going to buy some properties with it. But actually I've done it the other way around. So um, I quit my job one day and became a personal trainer because that was the only skill that I had that I could sell. But I'd sort of got it in my head that I needed to be in control of my life. So I ended up as a personal trainer and started going to like businessy, mastermindy type events. And um, I bumped into a lady called Tony Gargan and she just told her story about how she did property and she'd raised all this finance and done it with no money. And because I'd heard that story out of the property world out of a sales environment just really raw like this you know she was just masterminding saying like this is my struggles this is what I want to do and I'm like oh my god I need to do what you're doing um so <laughs> she tells the story quite often so I literally apparently I went up to her and was like hi Tammy and then we're like can I be your professional stalker um she's like yeah no problem I'm like yes get in there um and then after that I got invited to some of the property events you know invested in some trainings some masterminds whatever um and started from there so I literally started from nothing and I didn't have a penny I was probably in minus figures I was terrible at managing money and um in that first year in property, I just really, really went for it and just went out viewing. I had no idea how to do a renovation. I 
like had no idea whether I could raise finance or um I didn't even have like a perception of how difficult it might be because I just wanted it so badly um so I just went out there got an offer accepted went around networking events told everyone I'd have this offer accepted some guy offered to um joint venture with me so he put in the first uh, 400,000 we bought five properties with that so I, I moved up to Liverpool because that's where they were <laughs> And um, I literally packed a bag, like booked a HMA room. It was like, right, I live in Liverpool now. Um, <laughs> and then just managed these renovations. And I'd gone from managing nothing to five renovations in like six months. Um, I hate living in Liverpool because I was like, I had no job because obviously I was a property investor then. This is what I decided. So I had no mates. Um, so I was just really lonely and miserable. So oh. after those renovations, I like moved back down to Gloucester, where I'm from. Um, and that's where I set up all the service accommodations, the rent to rent you're talking about. And then I had an offer accepted on a flip and it just like snowballed from there, really. That's amazing. That's a really good story. <laughs> and I have, I know Tony Gargan. She's an amazing lady. Um, and she did tell this story about you being a stalker, <laughs> but she loved it. It was so endearing um, that you just jumped in. So she's, she echoes what you just said. And it's really good to see that just got to take action. You've got to fully commit to all this stuff. Listen to what, what you're getting taught. And that's why I love the community that we're in. Um, I mean, it's progressive. We, we can chat about it. I'm happy to to, to name it. Uh, but I just feel that it's brought a lot of great people, like-minded people together that's allowed everything to happen for me and, and for yourself. And I just think it, it's brilliant. Um, so have you, done, have you carried on with this? Have you continued? Because that was just one year, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I was like my first year. I've never done that many deals in a year again, and I probably wouldn't want to because that year was really stressful looking back on it. I don't know how I kept my life together at the time um, because I just had so much on my plate and I just like woke up every day and just spam plates. Um, yeah, so I moved back down south um, because I was like, well, I can do property up north. Like at the beginning, you hear like up north's the place to be. Um, not that it's not the place to be, but you can do property anywhere. Um, and then I was like, well, South Wales is only an hour away, so I can replicate my buy, refurbish, refinance model in South Wales on the cheap terrace properties there. Um, so I did that, sourced quite a few of them um, when I started in that area. And then um, my confidence grew, and I realised that I could do this in my hometown in Gloucester. Um, so it, you can't really do the smaller terrace properties there because you leave too much money in them, which doesn't work for me. But I've done some slightly bigger deals there. So, yeah, for me, it's just the same thing. Buy, refurbish, refinance. I'll do it on little houses, big houses. Semi-commercial is my latest one. I'm negotiating on a block of flats at the moment. Um, yeah, just don't stop doing the thing that works. Yeah, that's great. And, and are, you, are you applying your skills in being a mortgage broker to that as well? Yeah, so that's helped massively because before, like, I didn't have a clue what was mortgageable, what wasn't mortgageable, or, like, some little caveats, you know, like, if you buy something next door to a commercial building, um, then you might struggle on finance, depending on what the building is, if it's a restaurant or a cafe or a Chinese, say, um, you know, those are harder to mortgage, even if they're not your property, they're just next door. So before, um, I think I was quite naive in my first couple of years in property and just went in blind and, and just made it work, which has its advantages because I got loads done, whereas now I've probably got a more strategic approach and I think about the exit, the end finance at the beginning, whereas at the beginning of my journey, I just thought about getting the deal in and making it work. 
Um, so I didn't have any like massive epic fails, but I made quite a few mistakes. Like I bought three properties on the same street in Liverpool and um, this was like my first purchases. I didn't really consider looking at the outside of the building because I looked internally with my like very untrained eye. Yeah, it needs a new kitchen. Um, you know, didn't look at the electrics because I wouldn't know what to look at. Now I'm like, oh, if it's got red and black wires, then it's really old, <laughs> which like, isn't the, the most knowledgeable, but you know it works. And um, my builder came out to do these three properties on the straight, same street in Liverpool. He was like, you know, the whole street needs a new roof, so all three of your properties need a new roof, which I hadn't budgeted for. So, um, so I made like loads of mistakes at the beginning, whereas now I'm, I'm probably yeah, a little bit more skilled at what I look at and what I do. Well, that's good though, isn't it? Because it's like the start now, get better later, which we get taught anyway. Yeah, that's good, and and I think this is a rite of passage. It's always a rite of passage where you you start and you're never going to be the finished article. You're never going to look at everything that you need to look at. But at least you had a reference point. <laughs> at least you thought, <laughs> well, let's look at these wires and, and see if they're okay. Let's but, look at the reef. <laughs> but, but then it's you've learned from it now, haven't you? Yeah. Now you, yeah. you've done that, which is great. Um, I really think it's amazing what you've done. Um, and I think applying your skills as a mortgage broker, I mean, that must have propelled you a lot further now, um, but allowed you to develop quicker than anybody else and that's what I really want to touch on in, in this podcast is is to allow people to understand the listeners to understand how to be the best client how to yeah. understand the the whole behind the scenes part of being a mortgage broker which then allows them to then manage their own expectations but also look look for the best products <clears throat> so I want to start a bit in reverse normally I start the opposite way around but I want to talk about your top tips because I think this is fundamental. If you get your top tips down, then everything else that we start chatting about, people will be like, ah, oh, yeah, that's a top tip. Okay, literally treat me like um, I'm that guy that sits in the confession box and tell me everything. Um, there is nothing worse as a mortgage broker with somebody like hiding information like, they're trying to do a buy-to-let mortgage, but fail to mention that their parents live in the property. Um, you know, so that that's got a different slant on it. If you're lending to buy-to-let with family members in it, or another recent one I had, the client didn't think it was relevant that the property had a rent charge on it. So just to explain what a rent charge is, it's a freehold property, but a rent charge is very similar to ground rent. You see it on like old terrace properties in the northeast and nobody pays their rent charge because it's like 50p a year you know like peppercorn rent on a on a leasehold okay. but it's there some lenders won't take it even with indemnity so we got all the way through to offer got into legals and it was like oh we don't lend something with a rent charge and my client's like oh well i didn't really think it was relevant it was like oh no we need to like start again we've just wasted your application fee your valuation fee and now i've got to get a new mortgage so um my my topest top tip is tell me everything that you possibly can so I just want to go back. Sorry, I'm going to go back. So with the rent charge, what can people do yeah. about that? Nothing. Like, it's just there on your title deeds. So you just um, got to choose the correct product that will allow a rent charge. Is that right? Yeah, like, a lot of lenders are happy with it. And it's one of those things you can indemnify. So it's not, like, the worst problem. Just for the lender that we chose, Principality, it, for them, it's zero tolerance. We don't care if you've got the best indemnity in the world. We're not lending on a property with a rent charge. Um 
so we we'd gone all the way down the garden path with principality because we didn't I didn't know there was a rent charge on the property and it it doesn't come out in the valuation it comes out in legals when the solicitor looks at the title deeds oh wow yeah so that's quite far down the line isn't it that yeah. must be frustrating that must be frustrating so I understand that's the top tip uh, what would you say the top tips for the clients what what should they do prior to coming to you is there anything that you'd you'd suggest no like for me i literally don't mind like some people like you know you need your bank statements and that in order we're going to be asking for three months bank statements um to try and make them look good keep an eye on your credit file like try and i know what it's like with utilities it's, this is the best thing about being an investor and a broker i know what it's like you buy a load of properties um you've you forget to pay a bill or get in a row with one of the electricity companies because you can't get through on the phone because they're awful. Um, you know, and then suddenly you've got like a, a mispayment, a default or something. Like, and and I know it's frustrating with the utility companies, but try not to let that happen because it does affect your your credit rating. Um, and then we've got a look for lenders that that don't mind the odd mispayment or whatever. So I'd say keep an eye on your credit file, like keep your bank statements and that in order. Um keep a portfolio record so you can send that straight over because once as a broker we've got all this information as you buy properties we can just add it on um but i don't mind that people that come in like an admin mess because as entrepreneurs most of us are like quite messy with our admin until we outsource it and get someone else to do it um so for me literally all i want you to do is tell me everything that you possibly can about the property the area the deal tell me how you bought it like don't hide that information if you bought it with an investor's money that's fine i, I can work with that i just need to know so that um i can pick a lender that's okay with that sort of thing um so my most frustrating thing is when you either forget to tell me something which isn't your fault or or you know think oh we just won't tell the broker that bit of information it's like no no don't do that <laughs> yeah that was again frustrations like listening to it that just get everything to you to avoid this frustration because it must be frustrating for the client as well yeah because i bet sometimes they don't understand that they've got to provide this information or yeah they need to build a personal profile i mean what what would help with the personal profile is that just purely the credit rating and making sure they've got everything attached to the property that they live in yeah so I've had clients come to me and they've like not bothered to put themselves on the electoral register where they live like really easy thing not to do I wouldn't have considered it until now I'm a mortgage broker and I'm like that's important because then you've got gaps in your address history which some lenders don't like and then you're trying to prove that you have lived there in the last year you just haven't bothered putting yourself on the electoral roll but that all comes up on your credit file so I think as investors one of the most important things is actually just keeping on top of your credit profile making sure you've got no mispayments no defaults um some people as well like do a load of refurbs on credit cards but say they don't earn a lot of money on paper because they're self-employed and you know they keep their 12 and a half grand limit plus dividends and whatever um sometimes it can be hard to get people a mortgage with a high debt to income ratio so where they're going to refinance and then pay off the debt on their credit card that to us is called debt consolidation which i do get it because all you're doing is refurb on credit cards but that can make things difficult as well and i think a lot of investors don't understand that sort of thing like whacking at the credit cards but earning very little money the lender looks at you and thinks oh wow like that person's got issues do you know what i mean but as investors we're like well actually we just bought a load of kitchens on it because we can get zero percent interest for 12 months do you know what i mean yeah, it's making our money work for us, really, isn't it? By looking yeah. at more percent, but then there's a knock-on effect. So yes, that's good to understand because then that will 
that that might not stop people, but before they make a decision, they they can stop and think and think, well, what will this do? And if they chat to a broker and say, well, I'm considering this, then. So then we've got to go to lenders that don't look at debt to income ratio, which is fine. So what I say to people is everything's fine. That on its own is fine. However, if you've got a complex property, say you've got a property of low value and you've got a high debt to income ratio um, and you're, I don't know, not a homeowner and in rented accommodation and um, what else can we pick? And there's another criteria I need to look for. Your pool of lenders gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So if you've got a quirky deal along with other things on your credit profile or debt to income you get to the point where like a lender is okay with xyz but they're not okay with you know this thing over here and that's when we struggle on lending does that make sense yeah it does yeah it's because their level of risk so i get it so they're looking yeah. at their level of risk and if you've got too many risk factors then yeah that can then stop you getting a decision so or... say if we've got like your high debt to income <laughs> ratio and your rent charge and you've built a portfolio very quickly in a short space of time, and um, you've borrowed all your money from investors to do it, suddenly I'm looking for a, a lender that needs to meet four or five different points. Um, so one of those points would be okay with a lot of lenders, and then two of them, your pool's getting smaller of lenders, and then three of them's getting smaller again, and it's like um, that's when you can struggle. So sometimes if you've got a good idea, maybe pick up the phone and speak to your broker and just say, I want to do this, this, and this. Like, how's that going to look on my exit? Okay. And stacking a deal is probably just as important as well, isn't it, to make sure that all the figures are there ready to go? Well, do, yeah. Does that factor in when you're going for a deal as well do they look at the exit what do you mean so say if you're looking at a lender um and yeah. you go to them and they've got a product would they look at what your exits are whether you're going to sell it or whether you're going to rent it and how much that rental income would be so if we can, if you come to me for a mortgage i can only get you a mortgage if you're going to hold it if you're planning to sell it then we'd be looking at bridging finance oh, okay because what you cannot do and i cannot stress this enough is buy a property on a mortgage do whatever you want to do to it, turn it into a HMO, refurb it, gut it, turn it into two flats, and then exit onto a, a product where you've got higher valuation. You cannot do that on a mortgage. The only way you can do that is using bridging finance or cash. Um, so what happens is you might get away with that once, and I'm not recommending you to do that. I'm just saying you might get away with doing that once. Whereas um, if you do that as a business model where you take out a mortgage and then refinance six months later to get your money back out, um, it'll be on your credit file that you keep taking out mortgages and then redeeming them in six months and, and you'll get on the blacklist and then you'll never get a mortgage again. Okay. So always do a bridge to a buy-to-let model, something similar to that. Yeah, either rate like I've raised cash privately, I've bridged as well. Like I'm a broker, you know, I've used bridging, I sell bridging. I also understand sometimes it's quicker and easier to get a private finance. Um, so do all of those things. What you also can't do is use private finance for the deposit and then get a mortgage. That's not okay, but you can use private finance for the deposit along with a bridge. Because bridging is completely different to term mortgages. Um, so if you want to do a buy, refurbish, refinance model on small terraced houses, big semi-commercial, anything, you've got to be buying in cash or bridging. Um, you, you just can't do that on a mortgage. Okay. Because sometimes, I mean, I've been on, I've listened to a few webinars where they're talking about, well, just remortgage after six months. 
set the, increase the value and remortgage. But if that's a no-no and that, that goes against your credit file, then I want longevity in what I do. When we say um, remortgage, like if you've bought it in cash, I'd still classify it yeah. as a remortgage. Um, just, yeah, don't buy on a mortgage and then remortgage. So that's what I was talking about. So yeah, they, yeah. they say get it on a mortgage, do it yeah. up yourself and then and then refund it. So that, that is a no-no. So anybody listening, uh, please take heed of that because it could affect your credit file. Um, which is we'll just get to the point where lenders won't lend they'll be like you've redeemed six mortgages in the last two years after having them for six months like we don't want to lend to you because when you take out a mortgage you're saying to them yeah i want your money for the next 25 30 years however long your term is and then you're going into that mortgage with the intent of redeeming it in six to 12 months like that's dishonest this mortgage fraud because you're, you're lying you haven't got the right intent at the beginning yeah which is not good uh, no. Especially, especially if you want longevity, because then you you're cutting down all your chances of, of getting finance that you need for your next projects, which is great. Um, so brid bridging, we, we, you talked about it earlier. How is bridging mm. differently? Is it just through different? Because you've obviously got the banks that do the mortgages. Do the banks do the bridging, or is bridging done through a different um, organisation? So some lenders do buy to lets, resi, and bridging. Some lenders are just a bridging company. Um, now, bridging is called bridging because we are bridging the gap. That's why we call it that. And it's basically short-term finance. And it is there for, um, I don't know, one to 18 months to bridge the gap between what you want to do. So some people use bridging. Uh, if they've got enough cash available, they might have not sold their home, but they found their dream home. And then they bridge the new one whilst they're still selling the old one. Um, that's how uh, I don't want to like say investors and normal people, but that's how people that aren't into property would probably use bridging. Whereas as investors, what we do is we buy a property that's not mortgageable. So say it's not got a kitchen or bathroom, that's not mortgageable. Say we want to buy a three bed terraced house and turn it into a six bed all on suite HMO. So um, we're changing the property. Say we just want to buy a property and flip it. Um, all of those things are what we would use bridging for. Now, a lot of people think like bridging scary or that it's really expensive or um, that you're, you've got high risk if you're using it. And actually, those people just have a lack of understanding of what it is. Yeah, it, it is more expensive than a mortgage, but you're not supposed to stay on it for a long time. So if that cost of finance gets the deal done and you're still making money, then what's wrong with using that cost of finance? Because someone else is taking the risk on your product uh, project. So for me, like I think bridging is awesome. It's not there for long term. It's literally there to get you from A, buying a property as it is, and taking you to B which is whatever you want this property to be. Um, and, and someone's willing to take that risk on you. So you have to pay a little bit more for that money. Um, bridging is mostly unregulated. Well, it's all unregulated unless you're using your personal residential as cross collateral. And then it has a regulated element to it because obviously your home is at risk. Um, bridging lenders like are awesome to work with because some of the smaller bridging companies, um, it's literally like one really, really wealthy guy with his money. Uh, he's probably got some sort of property development uh, arm and the other half of their business is finance. Um, 
So with bridging, like we can package you and say like this guy's got no experience doing it for himself, but he's been a builder for a long time. He's looking to buy, like build his portfolio. He's done it lots for other clients. Um, you know, do you think you'd lend to him on this project? And and we can get a yes no answer. Whereas with term lenders, it's, it's computer says yes or no. With bridging, right. it's very much we're selling. We as brokers have really good relationships with bridging lenders, and we are selling you as a person that you're going to smash this project and get it done um so in bridging it is very much relationship based so that that's really leveraging experience could you leverage your team that you worked with as well so say say if you're a connected mm-hmm. person and you've got all the team there so qs structural engineer um quad, uh, sorry a construction company everybody there that's in place that are reputable could you leverage that out to say that these yes. are back to the job so with some lenders you can and some you can't. Some they might want to say they want to see your existing relationship. Um, some lenders are happy to work with first-time developers or first-time people doing refurbs. Um, it, it literally just depends with bridging. It's not like like bridging lenders have rough criteria. So you go to you know a particular bridging lender because you know they're happy to work with first-time developers or you go to another bridging lender because you know that they've got their own legal team that will complete in seven days like as a broker we would place the deal with the bridging lender that has that um unique quirk to what they like to lend to but essentially a lot of it is like how we as brokers sell you as investors to the bridging company so um yeah you can leverage your team um yeah, it's just about risk profile, really, and, and how how it's presented. Jonathan, you could do to improve your risk profile. I know we've just touched on quite a few bits. Um, obviously, the more projects you do, um, the easier it is to get bridging finance. The better the relationship is, the more time the, the more times that you use a particular particular bridging lender. Um, another way is like have your schedule of works ready, make it look nice because essentially you're presenting to a person. So if your paperwork is a mess and it's really hard to read your schedule of works, it's like, oh, scrap lending on that one, let's lend on this one where their schedule of work looks pretty, which I know that sounds silly, but actually we're all human and it's a human looking at that information. So if you've got like experience, I don't know, say, um, oh, I don't know, you've got experience in a different industry where you, you project manage it, like, use that experience and and write your own little report a lot of the bridging lenders will interview you as a person as well so have your exit ready like know your stuff even though you're using a qs and and all these other people like prove to that lender that you're keeping tabs on it all and you're not going well actually i've got an expert over here so i need to know nothing it's like no because you're being held responsible so even though you've got a really good expert over here you still know xyz about i don't know the build or or how it's ran or how things go does that make sense yeah yeah it's interesting it's interesting to know and make sure that because i would leverage out a team so i've got a decent team that i work with but I, I mean, I manage them anyway, doing project management. So I will just be asking for all this stuff for my future projects and saying, give me a schedule of works. Let's do a breakdown of how long this is going to take month by month. Show that Gantt charts and, and so on that, mm. that talks about who's responsible for what per month, per day, or whenever it is. Yeah, so it's very interesting. And it's interesting to see that how you can improve your own risk profile just by getting all that and then improving your own 
odds of getting the best finance or finance um, yes and then read it read what they give you and understand it don't take it like oh my builders gave me my schedule of work so I'm gonna you know take it from the builder and email it to the broker like just take the time to read it so that you understand it so if the bridging company picks up the phone to you and says I've got this schedule of works why does it say xyz and you know that instead of looking at it thinking I haven't looked at this before because some people do that like they get it from over here and send it to over there and and hope for the best yeah, good. That's that's another top tip. So just understanding what's going to happen when, which is good. Can you can you use bridging for any any sort of style of, of build? Could could you use it from like a low end refurbishment, bought a house fifty thousand uh, pounds, and can you use it for a large development? So um, low end houses, there's only really one lender that lends below a hundred k. And when personally, like I should be selling bridging here because I'm a broker. So um, Joel and Paul, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. But personally, if it's under 100 grand, I've always found that private finance works out better financially for you if you can raise it. Like that's my experience of it as an investor, not a broker. As a broker, you should always use bridging. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, In terms of like how high can you go, like there's bridging companies up into up into the millions like that's not a problem but if you want to deliver one of those projects you're going to need experience like a small development say um one to five houses from the ground up there's um bridging companies that are happy to lend on first-time developers for that sort of thing but if you want to build like i don't know a massive block of flats in the center of manchester for like god knows how many million and you've got no experience whatsoever you're going to need to jv with somebody to use their experience Brilliant. Yeah. So leveraging somebody else, that's that's mm. really good as well. That's another uh, good tip is leveraging other people's experience to try and get yourself off the ground. Would that count then? So, so once you've done one, would that go against your file that you say, well, actually, this is what he's been part of. And then you can hold that. Yeah, so you can use like, even if you've sourced projects and managed them for people. So the first time I used Bridging, this um it was really scary actually because I wasn't a broker then and I didn't really know what was going on. But this guy from my bridging company, it was mint bridging that I used, he came round and looked at all my other projects. So I literally was like got him in my car in South Wales and like drove him around and I was like, here's refurb number one, I own this one, like here's refurb number two, um, I'm doing that for a client. So as well as sending them my um CV, and when I say CV, I mean my property CV, um, he actually came around, looked at all my projects and had a look at the security property as well. Um, so yeah, you, you can leverage loads of different stuff. Keep pictures, like keep a CV up together of all the stuff that you've done, whether it's for yourself or other people. Because again, you're selling yourself to a bridging company. They don't know you from Adam. You've gone through a broker and said, I want to borrow X amount of money to do this amazing project that's going to be awesome. Like if you've got a pamphlet of everything else that you've ever delivered as a builder, as a sourcer, as an investor, like you're going to look good. Yeah, good. That's interesting. Um, and it's good to know that I'm doing something right because I do try and keep it, but that's just down down to me liking to see the pro- progress that I'm doing. Uh, yeah. But it's good to know that I can then leverage that out, which is good. Um, going away from bridging now, are there any... So I'm looking at development finance uh, and then going on to a mortgage product. Are there any tips for development finance for the larger builds? How big? Well, we're looking at, at four. So we're looking at one's going to be around 600 or 699,000 to develop. Um, okay. And then afterwards it should be worth 1.8 million. 
Um, another area, we're probably looking at £750,000. We're just waiting for the final quotes to come in. Uh, and then afterwards, that'll be over two point something million. That's This is not including the purchase price as well. Uh, and then the final one, uh, we're looking similar. I think it's 850000 for the development costs uh, plus that, and then it'll be worth a bit more. Um, so again, it's, it's the same, having your paperwork in order, having your um, planning, like what you're going to do if you get this planning, what's your second option if you don't get the planning that you want to get for whatever reason, having all of the eventualities like boxed off so that you can send that over to your broker to go to the lender and say like, our first, you know, our first planning that we want to get is, you know, we want to build 10 houses, but actually, if we can't do that, we might do eight bungalows. Here's the numbers on both of these. Here's the schedule of work. Here's our project manager. Here's our QS. Here's all the things we've done. Here's our relationship with them and how we know them. Here's our exit. We'd like to sell them all. If the market drops, then we're going to keep them all and run them as SA or rent them out. And here's the numbers on that. Just show them that you've got a really clear, thought out plan for each eventuality and how it's going to work. So touching on that again, I mean, we were yeah. talking about two different entities there at the end for the exit. So one could yeah. be commercial and one yeah. could be residential Yeah. as well. So would you, would you factor in both and then allow, would that, would that, would that work in your favor by having two different valuations at the end saying like a commercial valuation for an SA and a part hotel would be say, uh, say 400,000 pounds per year. That would be gross. Um, and then, the other entity would be well if we've got this this many they're worth three hundred and fifty thousand uh, pounds on paper because when you finish a development and go into an apart hotel you're not going to have your two years worth of books to get business finance so they're just going to do it off the ast value but flip your um idea around and say you know it's going to be worth 350 as single lets but 400 brands as hmos on a commercial valuation yeah that would look good to the lender because you're saying actually we're going to test hmos because we'll get a better yield from that but if that doesn't work we're going to do single lets so you're just saying to them like there's options you're not saying that the only exit we've got is single lets like we're never going to sell these properties because they won't sell well um and um, so the only thing we can do is single let them. That doesn't look good to a lender, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so offering the, the, the most options that you can would be better. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I suppose if you waited for two years' worth of books, um, you could then apply that, but that's later down the line after you've had your first product. Yeah, because you're not going to sit on development finance for that time because you no. can't say to the like development finance, right, what we're going to do is turn it into an apart hotel and we're going to sit on your money for two years. Like That would be really expensive to you as a borrower. And also the lender is going to be like, what? We're not a term product. We don't want to do that. So you'd have to get it onto um, just a normal apart hotel mortgage, say, and then you, know, you might get an increase in value after two years' worth of books if you're getting loads and loads of bookings in and actually that you're, you know, doubling your AST value for each flat, then they might look at, at a further advance or something. But also in two years, the market conditions could change, the property could go up in value. And it's quite hard to say where you'll be in two years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we don't know where we're going to be, especially with COVID. Um, it's been awful. I just want to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's really good to know. And that's, again, really interesting. Especially as right now, if, if I remember right what you said um, in previous conversations with that, that there's limited amount of 
mortgage companies or lenders, should I say, that will that will give you finance for an apart hotel. So two years' time, yeah. that might change. Yeah, that's a really small market at the moment. Like obviously, the SA market's growing because the lenders are jumping in on it because um, the staycation boom due to COVID is like strong. However, on the other side of that, it's like if we get locked down again, no one's going to be going on the staycation. But whilst we're free and we're allowed out, then lots of people are going on them. Um, so that market's growing because more lenders are looking at that going, oh, well, we want a piece of that pie because that looks good at the moment. Um, whereas the apart hotels, so where you develop, say, an office block um, into SA units, there's like two lenders that I know of that are happy to do that. And that's only on C3 use, the normal residential use. When you go to, I think it's C1 for the hotels, um, the lenders do not like that. So then we can't use normal, say, like commercial mortgages for that. We need to go to um, business lending. So somebody that lends on the profile of the business, but then they're going to want two years worth of books. So if you're buying a B&B that's under C1 use class, you'll only, and you know, you like want to turn an old B&B into an apartment hotel because that's quite a favourable thing to do at the moment. Um, either change the use class to C3 and then you can get one of these commercial mortgages with these couple of lenders that do it. If you keep it on C1, it's going to be based on your books. Well, if you're buying a rundown um, B&B, then the books are going to be crap and you're going to get a, a terrible loan size. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, and especially as uh, the rundown B&Bs, some of them don't want to go over the £85,000 VAT threshold that, that are running it currently. Um, so they would take cash in hand. So then it means the valuation is less. I know it'll be mm. more than two years because you're going to run it as a an SA um, entity, but yeah, it's um, restricting yourself by by going for something like that unless you're going to turn it into something like C3. So for us, we're looking at doing C3 anyway because we want yeah. multiple exits. We're going to turn them into a full apartments that meet the minimum space regulation. So then it allows us to then move them on, um, and we've done that purely to, to keep our options open to get the correct finance that we need, um, and then. If we need to bail and go to a different project, we've got options there to to bail and, and go on to. Another. Yeah. Real, thank you. Um, so I want to talk about now the products um, and how often products change and sort of the things that happen in the background that that might help the listeners to understand. Okay, so um, like there's loads of different lenders and loads of different products in the market. And a lot of lenders have like their little niche of stuff that they like. So as brokers, we get to speak to the business development managers and they come into our offices normally with like coffee or cakes or biscuits or something. Cause, um, cause to the BDMs, we're their clients. So they treat us really nicely and they'll say like this particular lenders quirk is they really like say social housing. So anybody that does social housing, um, they'll know that there was a handful of lenders that were into it. And say Fleet recently pulled that product from the market, which was really frustrating because we had a really good BDM that we could send him the social housing lease over and he'd be like, yeah, that's going to go through. Well, no, that it's not. So it's like, ah, Fleet have pulled that. So um, when we went out with them one night, it's like, why have you pulled this product? It was doing really well. Like, we've done loads of mortgages off this. Why as a lender would you do that? And actually what had happened in the background is recently Starling Bank brought out fleet so they now own fleet and starling bank looked at all the fleet products and went that's cool we like doing that we want to expand on this social housing oh that looks risky pull all the products immediately 
Um, so they, they pretty much pulled all their social housing products but one and went, we're not doing that. And then, um, as I suppose Stalin and Fleet must have integrated, Stalin staff learn a little bit more about that product and then they released them back into the market and said actually we're not happy with this part of it but we are happy with that so that's the sort of thing that can happen in the background also like as you can imagine in any industry the top people in all the top lenders say um I don't know that they all know each other. When we go out for drinks with BDM, it's like, oh, I used to work at Hodgebank with the BDM from there. Oh, because so and so are calling Aldermore because we know them. And all the BDMs like go around all the different banks, like on a merry go round. It's like, oh, you know, they want to climb up their career ladder. So they all know each other really, really well. And what sometimes happens is, say when Shawbrook started, it was a very small core team of people. And so that lender was very much a yes, no lender because the team was small. The BDMs were very close to the people in credit that could say yes or no to different things. And a lot more could go through. As that bank expands, um, People are getting further away from yes, no people. And as they add new employees in, I suppose they don't know each other as well. So it's harder to like push us through. And then that bank expands and expands and expands and it gets more to like being a yes, no bank on a computer. Yes, no, you know, based on criteria rather on getting stuff done on an exception. And then a load of those core people get annoyed because they used to be able to say yes to all their brokers, but now they're having to say no to all their brokers. So some of them sometimes jump ships and set up their own little bank. And it's like the old core team of one bank have now set up their own little lending thing, you know, joint ventured with a family office. That's where the money's come from. These people are the experts in the field. And then they grow again. And then they're, then they're the lender that's like the yes lender because they're new they want to get out there they're contacting all their old brokers saying hi we used to work for this bank we set up our own one we've got you know 50 million pounds from the family office we want to get it out there we want to specialize in small developments and then as that lender grows it happens again so that's my very basic view that I've seen in my time as a broker so someone older than me or knows the industry better might be listening to this and think what a load of rubbish but that's how I've seen it interacting with BDMs if that makes sense no that's really good that's really interesting that's really interesting to know and especially as you're getting these yes no entities that are growing banks or, yeah. or um, people that are going to lend you money that then they're contacting their old brokers which means that you're going to get the insight that then you can mm. pass on the products which is really good how often does this happen is it often often all the time or i don't know like the bridging market there's so many different bridging companies and i, I don't know them all and i'm never going to say that i do like i know the ones that i work well with so it's better to know like a handful of these smaller lenders you know like bridging companies well so that we can build a rapport as a broker and, and prove that our clients like don't cock up their bills and whatever um rather than like know all like hundreds of different banks not very well so like when you apply for a buy to let i literally type in your information into some sourcing software and it gives me like the best rates essentially or the best overall cost cost based on your profile and then i go down my list and start with like the cheapest one and i ring them up and say like this is my client and um, he's xyz is this something you're happy to take and they say yes or no and i work my way down the list whereas in bridging commercial development any of that sort of stuff you you can't source it we've got no software so you work with the lenders that you know well, that you know don't pull out at the last minute, that you know they're going to lend, you know, if it's a yes, it's a definite yes, it's not a yes, then a no. 
Um, so that market's more based on relationships. So the, the people that leave those banks and then maybe set up their own sort of lending entity with a family office or whatever, you still got a relationship with that person. I don't really care like who their name behind them is. Like I care that I know as a BDM they're going to work with me to do the best for my client. Yeah, awesome. That's really good. And so can, can people contact you about... Well, anything, because you're obviously on this podcast. I don't want to burden you by if we put this out and then you get loads, <laughs> loads of new clients. Are you happy for people to contact you? Yeah, like if people have got a finance need, um, then get in touch. I don't know if you'll put like my email address or something at the bottom of your notes or whatever you do. Like get in touch. Like don't just email me loads of random questions. Like my, my pet peeve is on Facebook when like I just wake up to a message. Someone's messaged me at one in the morning and they're like... <laughs> what's the best rate for a 65% loan-to-value HMO? And I'm like, I don't know. Is it a limited company? Is it a personal name? Is it adverse credit? Is it, um, have you got a massive portfolio? Is it your first one? Like, I don't know what the best rates are. <laughs> but if you've got, like, proper questions, just email me and I'll do my best to help you. Yeah, brilliant. You can Facebook, um, sorry, you can Facebook well, message me as well, just not in the middle of the night with, like, a, a silly question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, I will 100% put your your details within whichever forum I post this on. Um, yeah. So it's normally posted on quite a few forums. It's normally gone through a few of the podcast um, distributors as well. Um, but I'll make sure that you've got your details on there. And especially is because I think I think you offer great value to and services to the community. And if they can contact you and, and maybe fill out, have you got a questionnaire that you like them to pre-fill out prior no, so normally, right, if someone messages me, and, um, I'll answer their question, even if it's a silly one in the middle of the night, like I genuinely do answer. So do feel free to Facebook message me. Just don't ask me what the best rates are with no context because I can't help you. Um, normally, the first thing I do is jump on a call with people and just get a little bit of understanding about them. Are they a brand new investor that just needs some information and some help? Are they quite an experienced investor that knows what they want? They just need a broker to help them get there. Um, and then if they're looking to proceed, I'll send out a fact find that'll ask all the information that I need. Um, and then we just take it from there, really. But yeah, first instance, I normally just jump on the phone with the person and just have a chat because um, it's nice to chat to people. I love the property industry. I love talking to property people. Um, so it's just the easiest way, really, to build a rapport. Oh, awesome. Uh, have you got a, a, a website as well that we can share? So I work under the firm called Ramsey and White. They've got a website. I personally am just Emerald on Facebook doing my thing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Right, I'll point them in your direction because then if they look at your Facebook, then they can see all the stuff that you've done. Like what I mentioned yeah. earlier when it was the <laughs> when you talked about your best year, which you said was your most stressful year. <laughs> but again, it's it's something that people might aspire to, and it's that five hundred k five by to lets three SA with another four flips. Every, well, everything just chuck everything in there which is good because you never know. You might find somebody that wants to JV with you. Um, so what's what's happening now for you then in property? Um, so I'm just coming to the end of a semi-commercial product uh, project. I keep calling them products. They're not. They're projects. A semi-commercial project that um, I'm doing. I'm negotiating on a block of five flats in Cheltenham at the moment. Like, And I've been using that line for ages. Basically, the landlady, she always comes to me when she's selling something. Um, she wants to have a chat about it in the new year. I've already viewed it. We just need to come together with a price. And then it'll need a full refit because it's minging. Um, What else am I looking at? 
don't know really like I've recently secured a lease option but I decided not to rent that out so I moved into that myself as you do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and like just more of the buy refurbish refinance model really like I, I wouldn't have five projects on the go anymore I don't really source for other people anymore like I literally I'm getting to the end of one I've got my sights on a couple of others one of them will come through and I'll do that for next year once it's done I'll look for another you know just plodding along picking up properties as I go Awesome. So you're in a happy place then? That sounds it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like it. Like, I love my brokering. That keeps me busy day to day. Like, when I went full-time in property, it was really weird because that's everyone's goal. And then I was like, I've got all this time. And it was, like, quite stressful. So for me, like, brokering keeps me in there. I'm providing a service to people. I can help people out. I love the numbers. Oh, I'm actually doing my IFA qualification next year as well. So that's the next one up from brokering is where you're, like, an independent financial advisor. So I can give even more financial advice to even more people and understand different asset classes, not just property. So I can understand like pensions, moving those about stocks and shares and, and all these sorts of cool things. So oh, top, um, yeah. I, I very much love the wealth management side of things, like how you build your wealth and then how you manage your wealth to make more wealth. Um, and property is just one vehicle. So I love property because it's hands-on. As I said at the beginning, like I love houses. I love looking at old houses. I, I just... I like property, um, but I understand that there's so much more to learn. So I want to know more about different asset classes, really. So when's that due? Is that due late late on next year? Is it? Will we be fully qualified? I don't know. Like, um, so I've set a goal. So the way like brokers work, we're self-employed under a firm, and that firm does all of our compliance and all the rest of it and whatever. So I work for Ramsey and White, um, and Joel's the group director of that. So I set some goals with him. So once I've hit like a solid monthly target as a broker, that's when I'm going to start my um, IFA qualification. So I don't have a date to start it, but I reckon if I can hit my financial target in April, May next year, then that's when we'll um, order the books. I have got a copy of some of the other IFA's old books so that I can start flicking through it, but I'm not officially studying it yet. Oh, brilliant. Well, it's ex definitely exciting times. So are you, in, are you in it for the long haul then now? By the sounds of it, you, you're fully invested into the property and wealth side of things. Yeah, I think it's a, just a really fascinating, like, place to be financial services there's so much more to it and I just really enjoy learning so as much as I love property like there's only a couple of things that I actually like in property I love finding deals chatting to the landlords negotiating the deal I love that sort of thing like managing the build the refurb and all of that like literally just makes me want to kill myself I cannot stand it and then um even sticking the tenants in it, I'm not keen. Um, <laughs> but once the monthly income comes in, I love it. Like, so yeah, there's very there's a very small um, portion of property that I actually like. <laughs> so so doing it full time would have meant that I needed more refurbs on the go, and I just found that really stressful, like managing builders and trades, and oh god, no, <laughs> not for you. <laughs> so it sounds like why you do it is um, just to chat to people. Yeah, basically, and help people like out. I like I like meeting the landlords, and I'm like, so how did you build your portfolio? And I'll just sit and chat for hours. Um, I love it. I'd love to own a care home as well. 
like okay. that. I'd love to convert a pub into a care home, a, bout- a boutique, like 12 to 16 beds, and I have my hands in that slightly. So that is something that will happen, but not in the next two years. Definitely not in the next two years. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll speak to you after you've done that and see how stressful that is. Because <laughs> it's good. Um, well, thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And I think this is going to add a lot of value to everybody. It's great that they can contact you and talk about mortgages, talk about wealth, um, talk about all the different products that you can get from bridge into development finance. Just really, really appreciate you taking time, especially for the listeners to and, and over this Christmas period, to try and formulate what they're going to do in their plans for the new year. Um, one final question. Um, what's your brightest skies? That is the hard, like, that's probably the easiest question for everyone else. And for me, it's the hardest question. Um, why do I do, like, I don't know. Um, I find it really hard. Everyone's like, find your why. Your why keeps you going. I'm like, I don't know why I do this. Like, I love learning. I love people. I love property. I love business. Like, that fulfills me. But in terms of, like, people are like I'm doing it to build something for my kids like I don't have children <laughs> so I don't know like it just makes me happy being busy awesome well <laughs> there it is it's the full it's the complete picture for you then apart from yeah but it's just it's just, just growing as a person really. yeah yeah I don't know yeah. what's your reason let me ask you that <laughs> what's my brightest guys well, yeah. Yeah, so my, my brightest guys oh it, it's again it's the full package I enjoy the game. I enjoy chatting to everybody. I enjoy the challenges. I enjoy the roller coaster because it is quite a roller coaster at times. You're up at the one minute, down the next minute. And that's not in a bad way. That is just to say, well, one minute you've got everything all together, ready to go. And then somebody throws a curveball in, which we've had a quite a few times. And then we've had to adapt to it. But then I really enjoy getting from the bottom of the roller coaster, getting back up at the top again. Uh, but I do it so I can go on holiday twice a year, buy the best cars, buy the nice houses. Um, enjoy time with my kids and family go out exploring so I've got a lot of reasons I enjoy both entities of it so I like the personal side where it's what it's going to produce for me and then I like being totally involved chatting to people working out new things listening to innovative ways and and how people do it Um, listening to yourself that you've got into property but you've realized that you can leverage other things you can get into the brokerage side which then you look at it progressing that which I think is brilliant because you understand things that are happening in the background that will then help you progress further in the in the foreground. So I just think it's amazing. Same as some of the previous podcasts that I've done, similar to them, they've identified things that will help them grow and help them grow fast by the, developing themselves or throwing them into a different world that helps them get to the goal. So it's it's the unconventional thinking as well, which I think you do really well. So that's my brightest skies. Um, I could go on forever about it, but it's just <laughs> encapsulating everything into one. And um, the reason I, I named everything Brighter Skies is because I see me and my family, me operating from a beach, sitting down, my feet in the sand, laptop out with a sun umbrella there, kids playing out in front of me. So I'm working whilst sat in Brighter Skies. So that is why I, I called it Brighter Skies. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love the beach as well. Like, I need to go there more often. But, you know, like when you're working so hard, like it's always like I want to go on holiday more but then when I could go on holiday more I'm like but I like working um <laughs> you feel like you miss out don't you FOMO yeah yeah and it's just like I don't know you just jump on this train of property and then it just takes you away doesn't it and like actually sometimes you need to slow down and think well I could run this from a from a beach or you know well yeah 
<laughs> that would be the goal, running it from a beach. That would be amazing. But brilliant. Right, thank you very much for being on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Amazing. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to the Brighter Skies podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. To find out more about the work that Gary does, please visit his website, brighterskiesproperties.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a rating and review on the platform where you heard it. Thanks for listening and see you next time.